This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 85 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Recorded Future's Insect Group recently published research titled Underlying Dimensions of Yemen's Civil War, Control of the Internet. It's a detailed analysis of the role the Internet has played in this ongoing bloody conflict as rival factions fight to gain control of information, access, and infrastructure. Local and international interests all come into play. Here to guide us through the research are Recorded Future's Winona de Sombre, threat intelligence researcher, and Greg Lesnowich, threat intelligence analyst. Stay with us. This report actually largely came out of the idea of CyberWarCon and seeing uh, what John Holquist and the team over there had prompted and, and talks they were really looking to have people come in and sort of have a different conversation than most other uh, cybersecurity conferences have hit on and really looking at real world implications of, of cyber activity in whether it was disinformation uh, or in our case, actual physical war in a country and sort of taking the temperature of the cyber aspects in those regards. And Yemen, I think, naturally came to our attention and I think that part of our collective interest in it was the fact that we we see and hear a lot about what I would describe as advanced forms of cyber war or what people would describe as advanced forms of cyber war. A malware sent in that can black out a city to then get in front of a kinetic attack uh, and help troops there. And that isn't necessarily taking place in a real war zone all the time. And so we wanted to take a pulse of a country that that doesn't get a lot of attention from the, the cyber realm and really just dig in and figure out what the cyber aspects of the war going on in Yemen were. And one of the more interesting parts about choosing Yemen is you get to actually look at cyber activity during an active civil war and uh, what some would even suggest to be a proxy war. Uh, and with the active war zone, how the physical and cyber components interact with each other, we thought would be incredibly interesting. So give, give me a rundown. Uh, who, who is our cast of characters here? Who, who's involved uh, internally and, and helping from the outside? Sure. Yeah, uh, I think to get a good understanding, I'll give the internal major players first and then broaden our scope and look at who backs them uh, to see where things get really interesting. Uh, there are two primary belligerents in the country right now. The Hadi regime that is the internationally recognized government right now, and they have a really large swath of territory on the south and west coasts of the country, and they fight the Houthi rebels who are largely considered to be uh, the rebellious faction who are largely based in the northwest uh, corner of the country. The Houthis uh, are primarily Shia, and the Hadi regime is primarily Sunni. There are a couple secondary groups in the country to also make note of. Uh, the Southern Movement, which is a group based in, obviously, southern Yemen, that would like to see the old borders from uh, prior to the year 1990 restored uh, when Yemen was actually two countries, North Yemen and South Yemen. Uh, additionally, in the country, there's a presence of al-Qaeda and the Islamic State in varying degrees uh, throughout the last three years, uh, mostly up and down due to a targeted U.S. bombing campaign of those guys. But interestingly, they have signed peace treaties and non-combatant treaties with 
the Hadi regime as well as the Southern movement uh, off and on to focus their collective fighting against the the Houthi rebels. So zooming out, uh, we can see really where this gets garners international attention. Yemen has a strategic location in that it can control access in and out of the Red Sea uh, from the Indian Ocean, which ultimately can connect the Indian Ocean to the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a, a very important trade route. And with that, the Hadi government that hosts or uh, is the internationally recognized government rather is primarily backed by Saudi Arabia, and that is both funding, airstrikes, arms, uh, overt political support, and things of that nature. While the Houthi rebels are backed by Iran, and that's pretty widely known, is it is a little more um, subversive in Iran's methods of supporting the group uh, and arms sales or arms that they've donated to the cause have largely been deemed to be illegal. With that, uh, the Southern Movement also has backing from the UAE, but has also signed non-combatant treaties with the Hadi regime and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Interestingly, the the collective treaties that they've signed, uh, the Hadi regime, Southern Government, or Southern Movement, and Al-Qaeda have all sort of flown in the face of Saudi's alliance with the U.S. and their commitment to fight terrorism and, and battle extremism in the region, uh, which ha- also has the U.S. interests there to not only help or encourage Yemen stability to eliminate uh, the threat of extremism, uh, but also to guarantee international shipping lanes because a more stable peninsula helps guarantee U.S. enterprise um, and military stability in the region. Well, let's start off by establishing what, uh, what normal would be there, or as close to normal as possible, uh, when Yemen was not in a war situation, what was the state of the Internet there? Prior to the civil war and even even during the war today, you have uh, a series of major players. You have Tele-Yemen, which is one of the larger backbone providers of uh, Ye- Yemen. But the main ISP there is a company called YemenNet. It was managed mainly out of the... Yemen capital, Sena, uh, and currently still provides a large majority of the IP space to the country. You also have mobile providers who actually use some of the IP space provided by Tele-Yemen and YemenNet. Um, so really, it's those two players. After the civil war started and uh, after the Houthis took control of the capital, Sena, the Hadi regime that was pushed out decided that they were going to create their own ISP. And just this June, uh, June 2018, they put their own ISP up at a net. And so what prompted the creation of that new ISP? Was the civil war causing trouble with the, the existing infrastructure? Yeah. So interestingly, when the Houthis gained control of Yemen net, uh, when they seized the capital, they went on a large campaign of degrading internet service, uh, particularly in a disinformation way, in preventing access to websites that talked about Houthi troop movements or, you know, revealed their battle plans or things like that. And also your classic social media and messaging domains, uh, Skype, uh, Signal, WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook, those sorts of things that really impacted the Hadi government and ultimately cut out internet service to a large portion of the country. I think, I believe they severed 80% of the fiber optic cables, uh, some of which were eventually fixed. But it effectively led the Hadi regime left out in the dark and not having Internet access that wasn't either Houthi controlled or Internet access at all due to the wires being cut, which was this very interesting look at 
the physical manifestation of a cyber war uh, to say, hey, the Internet is valuable and we need access to it uh, enough that we're going to go work with external third parties, including Saudi Arabia and Chinese companies to go and create a whole new set of infrastructure and add a net to regain access to uh, the Internet and somewhat the outside world. And I think with that, too. There is a an aspect to it that the land holdings in the country largely reflect control of the Internet. And so interestingly, there is a campaign that Saudi Arabia has encouraged its its coalition and allies to take part in surrounding a country on the western coast of Yemen called Al-Hodaya. There uh, is one of the major submarine cables that provides Internet access uh, and telecommunication access to Yemen that doesn't cross through a Saudi Arabian border. There are a number of other cable landing sites in the country that are all under the Hadi government control. And so interestingly, if Al-Hodaya is seized by the Hadi regime, it will effectively cut off the Houthi access to internet and it will give them access to the direct wires that feed the Yemen net that the Houthi rebels currently control. And so it's this very interesting back and forth of the internet as sort of a goal, sort of a collateral damage of we now have control of this city. We have control of the internet now by de facto too. So what do we do with that? Can we maintain it? And a lot of the time the answer has been no. And that's led them to just have more brutish, them being the Houthis, have a more brutish response to controlling uh, information access there. And then with the pushback, obviously, they've done a lot with their internet access there to prop themselves up online as the legitimate government in Yemen. And a lot of that would be undone uh, if they were to lose access to Yemen net and ultimately control the Internet there. So take me through what's going on in terms of their ability to control the information that's flowing. What, what are we talking about when it comes to censorship? So we were able to find a couple different facets of censorship and also censorship bypass uh, in Yemen. Um, the first one being... Um, something that you'd think was a little minor, but still counts um, as subversion of the Hadi government. So because the current Houthi regime has full control of the .yu top-level domain space, they're able to completely revamp all of the government websites. So most of the current government websites have completely expunged every mention of the previous Hadi regime and shows the Houthi government as the legitimate government uh, in Yemen, at least online. Uh, then you also have um, the use of NetSweeper. In 2015, the Citizen Lab pushed out a great report about how the Houthi regime was using NetSweeper to control content, mainly through uh, DNS and web proxies, uh, which this tool specializes in. Um, and we've been able to also find remnants of that still online. On the other side, though, you also see traffic originating from Yemen attempting to bypass the censorship. So there are individuals within the country that are fully aware of these censorship efforts. And so you see um, the use of Tor browser and certain VPNs like OpenVPN and IPsec VPN tunneling. You also see a couple, well, not a couple, a very large number of home and business routers within Yemen using DNS recursion, which would get around the two large caching servers within Yemen that may also be designed to censor content. So what's the reality of this on the ground in terms of, of availability and the, the um, of how people are actually using the Internet? Or, or do they still have access or what's the, uh, what's the ground truth there? 
From our research, um, just to give a little bit of background, uh, dial-up internet was originally introduced to Yemen in 1996. uh, And as of 2017, about a fourth of the population has internet access. That being said, access is fairly relative when you live in a war zone. Um, Yemen ranks about one of the slowest countries, I think the slowest countries in terms of user bandwidth. And due to the airstrikes that are prevalent around the region, certain hosts that could be up one day could be completely obliterated the next. And is there any shift that you can see in the types of data that's flowing? Um, One interesting thing that we did see um, was in our look at the amount of malware samples um, present from the country. So we saw an interesting increase in virus total samples from 13 samples between 2015 to 2017 to a whopping 164 from January to October 2018. And a majority of these are Android-based, suggesting that perhaps a decent number of Yemeni citizens are using mobile as a, a way to rely on accessing the internet. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, now, would the mobile access still be relying on those uh, those submarine uh, sort of trunk lines in and out of the, the country? Uh, yeah, to some degree. There's also a number of satellite providers in Yemen that due to uh, their up and down nature and unreliability of finding, you know, definitive IPs that they use in Yemen uh, with Yemeni citizens, we did not uh, take into consideration those things mm. um, or the, the satellite provider specifically, but they're uh, most of the mobile providers in Yemen specifically use Yemen Net, uh, the Houthi-controlled ISP. So most of that seems to flow through uh, submarine cables. Now, it's interesting, uh, some of the outside providers that they've chosen to partner with to get this this secondary system up and running, you know, companies like Huawei, um, who certainly have a, a checkered reputation uh, with some other nations around the world. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is very interesting, the choice of uh, Huawei as the main router provider for Adanet. Um, that being said, China is more than willing to provide uh, these routers, primarily due to, A, its pre-existing defense ties with Saudi Arabia. Remember that the Hadi regime has t- aligned itself with Saudi Arabia within the region. And so that pre-existing defense tie with China could come into play. But more realistically, um, this also ties into China's wider Belt and Road Initiative. So the massive series of infrastructure projects China has undertaken to project its power globally. And a decent number of their infrastructure projects revolve around the Bab al-Mandeb Strait, uh, which is right in between their new military base in Djibouti and uh, the more war-torn areas of Yemen. So if the shipping lanes were to be compromised, uh, that would present a larger risk to the Chinese. So their interest in stability within that wider region has to do with their economic and political interests as well. Now, one of the things that you tracked in the report is uh, some coin mining activity, some crypto coin mining. Um, Take us through, what did you discover there? I understand this is a sort of an ongoing, evolving uh, thing from the report. So we actually found uh, approximately 973 hosts within Yemen 
using or running a cryptocurrency mining service, CoinHive. Now, this is a JavaScript-based Monero miner released in early 2017, a full two years after the Houthi rebels took control of YemenNet. Um, all 973 hosts are MicroTik routers belonging to YemenNet, uh, and 213 of those hosts share the same, roughly the same domain dynamic.yemennet.ye. Uh, so again, that same .yetld that the Houthis have control of. Of course, this also coincides with a uh, previously reported upon set of campaigns by Avast uh, in mid-October, in which multiple cryptojacking campaigns using a widely available exploit leveraging CVE 2018-14847 would allow an attacker to take advantage of the vulnerability and inject JavaScript code in order to run CoinHive on compromised routers. So while we were able to determine approximately 400 of those routers to be involved in Yemen that were also involved with previously more widely targeted campaigns mentioned in the report, the other half have thus far been left without any link to previous campaigns. A third of those hosts are actually located within Sana, the Houthi-held capital, and site keys generated by those accounts have been reused for multiple hosts. Um, and interestingly, while all of the infected routers are part of the Yemen net network, identical microtech routers owned by the other backbone provider, uh, TeleYemen, have not been infected. So when you have all of these various uh, data points, there's a couple things that could be happening here. Uh, the first possibility is that the Houthis are possibly using their own hosts and their, their control of these Yemen net hosts to mine cryptocurrency to provide uh, support monetarily to their newly functioning regime. They would be able to convert the cryptocurrency into harder currency, which would allow them to provide aid and arms and ammunition to their, their forces. On the other hand, because Tele-Yemen has not been infected, it's also entirely possible that this was a targeted campaign, perhaps either criminally based to generate funds or designed to completely slow down the IP space of Yemenet uh, or, or the number of hosts to Yemenet to some sort of a halt. We're uncertain as to which side is more likely, but either way, it is proof of some individual affecting an important ISP within the region to establish some sort of gain, be it monetarily or militarily. Yeah, it's an interesting wrinkle that uh, e even the, the potential for crypto coin mining to be used as a funding source for war. Absolutely. It's honestly fascinating. What are the take-homes for you? With the things that you've observed here, what sort of insights do you have on the, the role that uh, Internet access plays in an ongoing conflict like this? So I think that the first takeaway that I have is that Internet access now really, really matters for both obviously in-country communication, but also for these groups to either communicate with their allies externally or publicize and the activists and politicize their cause basically online. And we, uh, a colleague of ours, Dan O'Keefe, uh, also presented at CyberWarCon about 
uh, Houthi inf- information operations specifically and methods that they try and supplant or subvert um, U.S. support for Saudi Arabia and, and arming the Hadi regime. And so having Internet access obviously is key to developing a Twitter campaign like that. So one of the things that um, that I really took away from this research was the the importance of Internet enough that in a, even in a war zone when um, life and limb are in short supply and you're really focused on living day to day and avoiding airstrikes and avoiding skirmishes and things like that, even as a normal citizen or a non-combatant, the Internet access is still important enough that gaining access to it via strategic uh fighting is is important to them and it's also important enough that they will establish a new isp and generate a whole new internet backbone infrastructure to regain access uh to the internet and so i think it shows its importance as a strategic goal Um, and i think sort of broadening our scope and looking out further seeing i would imagine that we would see maybe similar activity in uh, a country like iraq uh, or a country like syria where there is ongoing conflict in a war zone and also in a country that has not had um, a high amount of of infrastructure or economic development to have a really, really strong Internet presence uh, or I guess what you'd call a resilient infrastructure. I think that the the Internet access in Yemen has shown itself as a very basic necessity for people there, both for general communications, uh, but then also for information operations externally and internally for these groups to legitimize themselves to the outside world. And if internet access is cut off strategically uh, or even temporarily, uh, they have a vested interest in keeping it up so that they can maintain the international community's uh, attention to their cause and ultimately decide whether or not that they are the legitimate government of Yemen or not. Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Winona DeSombre and Greg Lesnowich for joining us. The research is titled Underlying Dimensions of Yemen's Civil War, Control of the Internet. You can find it on the Recorded Future website. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll take the time to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.